0: Welcome to Connection Church's podcast. This week, Brandon Williams kicks off a two-week series entitled The Date. As we look back in history, we can all remember events that there was so much anticipation for. And every year, we see that same type of anticipation for Christmas. This week, Brandon challenges us with the question of, are we truly anticipating God to do something in our lives? So often we want God to do great things for us, instead of great things through us. Good morning. Everybody doing good today? Excited to be here. I can see it in your faces. You can't wait to get into the Bible. I just know it. I can tell it. But we're glad you're here. Um, If you're visiting, um, welcome. We're glad you're here visiting with us and worshiping with us. Um, And just thankful uh, that we can come in and worship and uh, just have an awesome time. Um, One of the reasons that we get to do that is because of the men and women who um, sacrifice and and, go overseas and and different things so that that we can have an opportunity to worship i want to do something this morning real briefly Um, i'm gonna ask bill edinfield if uh he'll come up and uh his wife we're gonna um pray for them Uh, he's going over to afghanistan um and uh on january the well second is when you first is actually when you're leaving i just want to i want us to lift him up and, and just pray for he and his family and I want to um encourage and challenge our church that while while he's gone and while he's away um that we are here for his family and that they know we love them and that uh, if there's anything that that they need that we're here to take care of it so we're going to pray I believe you're going for seven is it 75 days okay 75 days so we're going to pray if you'll agree with me with them we're going to pray for him and, and for his safe um travel safe return father I thank you um, I thank you this morning for your love and your mercy and your grace on our lives. I thank you for this family, God. And I ask you that you would um, be with them right now during this holiday season. God, I thank you for the sacrifice that so many men and, and women have made for us um, so that we can have this opportunity to worship you and to love you and just to, to, to have the freedom, um, God, to, to be able to proclaim your name. And so, God, we pray right now that you would put angels around him as he travels, as he's um, in Afghanistan, as he's serving this country God that you would um, surround him with angels protect him God we thank you that you bring him home safely um God and um and God just that you're with him the whole time I pray that he would feel your arms around him know your hands are upon him um God every step of the way and God I pray for his family I pray for them Lord I pray for strength and peace upon them God I I, I thank you for um, a church family who can surround them God and love them and be there for them God and, um, and Lord, I just thank you for your Holy Spirit that indwells them and um, gives them strength in, in everything. Lord, we love you and we thank you for being so good to us. Uh, Lord, and we just lift them up to you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Bless you, man. All right. Y'all let us know if we can do anything. you need us, okay? <laughs> Me too. I'm not to cry before this message is over, so don't worry about it. I don't know what happened when I, when I gave my life to Jesus, I went from like never crying to like crying all the time. I don't know what it is. I mean, I find myself crying at movies and things. I'm like, why am I crying? I'm a big girl, but I don't know. I just cry. So, um, but we're excited. Um, it's kind of funny because every time we announce that we're going to another service, it's usually when students are out, like in the summer, we're like, we're going to a second service. And there were like 150 people in here and everyone's like, what? 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 and so we're announcing that we're going to this third service. And it seems kind of crazy, even at 1045 right now, because there's empty seats, but we know that when students get back, it's going to be full. I mean, we just believe that unless like the rapture takes place and we miss it, it's probably going to be pretty full. Um, and so we do want to have this. Third service starting, um, right now we're planning it for January the 16th. We may move it to the 23rd, just a heads up, because students are actually starting back on that Tuesday so i'll be listening out for that but we're excited about that opportunity also christmas eve i want to actually bring some folks who don't um go to church you can get them here on christmas eve and we we're going to preach the word we're we're not just going to sing kumbaya and and you know just do something just to fill up the time we're actually going to preach the gospel and so it's an opportunity that we can have a chance to pour the love of god into some people who maybe they won't ever go back to church that might be the one shot we get at them this year but I believe it's so important that we want to share the word of God with them. And so this, uh, this Friday at 5 o'clock, I'd ask you to bring people um, that, that don't go to church. Invite people. You know, they'll come on Christmas Eve when they might not come any other time. So... Join with us in that as we try to spread the gospel and the love of Jesus to people who uh, maybe aren't there yet, who don't know it, haven't realized it yet. Um, Today, we're starting a new series. We're going to just do two messages, this message and one on Christmas Eve. It's entitled The Date. And and where this came from, I was praying and just thinking about um, how we get so hyped up about Christmas, right? And it's always about the date. It's about December the 25th. And I was thinking about all the anticipation that goes into that. I know right now my kids are nuts, Because they're like, how many days till Christmas? How many days till Christmas? I'm like, it's just like five minutes son, it's still, you know, X amount of days. And so they're so excited. They don't have to go back to school for a while. Christmas is coming. They're getting all these presents and I'm just, they're just bouncing off the walls. And so there's all this anticipation. We were thinking about all these other things where there was this great anticipation. And some of them, as you know, were big busts like Y2K. And everybody was like, oh, freaking out. And they had like tuna and water and they had all this stuff. And they're like, it's, it's, it's going to crash. It's going to crash. And nothing happened. And, and it was like this big anticipation for nothing. And I thought about how... Um, the, the Jewish people going all the way back to when Jesus came into the world and, and he came you know, as a baby and, and he was born on Christmas day and and um and you think about that and you look at the fact that man there was very little anticipation of this coming. It had been four hundred years at that point since God had spoken to them through a prophet. And so they were to the point where a lot of them had just given. They were just like, okay, we've got these rules, we've got these regulations, we got this religion, we can just follow this religion and follow these rules, because that's what we got right now. And they really, a lot of them had given up. And I want to read to you as we get into this and look at this thought of anticipation and, and God coming to us and God working in us and God does desiring to work in us. I want to read you a scripture that has amazed me um, since really the first time I read it and and then explain to you a little bit about why I think it is so important to us today. But let's read this and we'll pray and then we'll jump into the word. This is in Luke chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, we use those. Um, So you can bring those with you. Um, It'll be a good thing. And Luke 2 verse 36. This is what it says. Luke 2, verse 36, it says, there was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Let's pray. God, thank you so much. For, um, for your love, your grace, thank you for your word. Father, I pray right now that you would speak to us through your word and by the power of your Holy Spirit, that this message would sink deep into our hearts, that it would change our lives. God, we love you and we thank you for just loving us, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, here's the cool thing about this. Is that... Here is this, this prophetess, as the Bible says, Anna. She's in the temple. She's worshiping night and day. Um, she's fasting. She's praying. And then they bring the little baby Jesus in. Um, and this is when they're bringing him to the temple, um, to fulfill all the religious requirements. You know, they would bring him in and they would, they would, they would dedicate him. They would do all these things that was required by Jewish law. Now, here's the cool thing about it. They're bringing this baby into Jerusalem, the city of God, the city of David. It was foretold for thousands of years that this was going to happen, right? They bring him into the city, and if you read the rest of chapter two, there were basically two people that recognized it. That just seems odd to me that you could bring God into a city that is supposed to be looking for the Messiah, that is supposed to be the chosen people of God, to and two people recognize that God is there. Does that seem crazy to anybody? Seems crazy to me that that, that these are the people, right? That for thousands of years, hundreds of years, people were saying the Messiah is coming. The Messiah is coming be ready. The Messiah is coming. Be ready. Look, look, look. And yet they bring Jesus into Jerusalem and two people, Simeon and Anna, actually recognize that Jesus is there. And she comes up and begins to, uh. To prophesy, She begins to tell, if you look at it, it says she began to tell everybody that was, that was looking forward to the redemption of Israel. Basically, she began to tell everybody that she could possibly tell, look, he's here, this is him, look, look. And as far as we can tell, very few people recognize that it was God. You ever need you to wake up, call like a, maybe a, a kick in the butt? I said, but, and, I'm sorry, but, but. I said, oh, God, but, it keeps coming out. But there he goes again. I know a lot of times we need those. And this week, before I preach this whole thing, it's, if it makes you uncomfortable, it's because God made me uncomfortable all week. right? My feet, my toes were hurting all week because God was just nailing me with this, with this message. And so I preached it to myself before I'm preaching it to you. But I believe there's times that, that we all need a wake-up call. What a better time to get a wake-up call than at Christmas? Right. We're celebrating the birth of our savior. What a better time to get a wake up call. What a better time to to realize maybe we're missing something here. Maybe God is among us and we're just not recognizing. I remember. When I started playing ball in college, um, like the first or second practice, you know, I'm already nervous. I'm a freshman. I wasn't very good. I begged my way onto the team. And I get out there and I was playing second base, and these guys hit it harder, threw it faster, I mean, ran faster, everything. I was like, this was a whole new world to me. I was like, I was blown away by it. And I'm sitting there playing second base, and this guy hits a line drive at me, like, just smokes it right at me. And it takes one bounce and i mean i'm not stupid so i'm gonna let it hit me you know what i'm saying and so it, it takes a bounce i tried to get my glove on it but i kind of turned the ball goes over my shoulder i was like well i missed that one day and, and you know something i'm really nervous and, and and i'm like man i'm they're, they're gonna cut me i'm not even gonna make it you know they're gonna cut me well then in between innings the guy who was pitching comes up to me and he says i need to talk to you okay So he takes me back into this back room in the dugout, which was scary enough, right? I didn't know. was like, is this where they bury the freshmen? I didn't know what this room was. And so I go back in there and he looks at me and he gets in my face and he says, you need to understand something. I was like, what? And this guy's like six threes, bigger than me. He's like, you need to understand something. I'm like, what? What do I need to understand? You don't get out of the way of the ball. You knock the ball down. And and then I was like, he's not going to talk to me like that. It's like, uh uh-uh, that defense mechanism kicked in. You know, even though you're wrong, you want to defend yourself. And so I'm like, man, I... Okay. And, and because I was like, this guy will kill me. He was bigger than me. And so but he's getting my face and he's like, you don't understand. You don't do that here. And it became this wake-up call for me that I realized... I'm not at the same level anymore. This isn't the same game that I've been playing. These guys, the guy who was pitching, he's thinking about getting drafted. He can't have somebody out there who's tanking ground balls because he wants to go further. These guys are getting paid to play now. They were on scholarship. So my performance affected them. And I realized, man, this is a wake-up call to me because, because this is more serious than it's ever been. This is more serious than it's ever been. And I look at the the world around us and I look at this and I'm like, church, we need to wake up. We need to begin to anticipate God doing something. We need to begin to see that God has a heart to move and to work. And that if we'll join forces with him, if we'll allow him to impart to us the Holy Spirit. And we'll begin to move hand in hand, arm in arm together. And with him, God wants to do some incredible things. I believe we are at a time when it is is so serious that we begin to take the gospel um, seriously. We're at a place in, in history and in culture where, listen, you can say anything about being spiritual all you want to. You can say anything about being godly all you want to. You can say, I believe in a higher power. You can say, I believe in, that there's something greater than me. But the moment you mention Jesus, what happens? People lose their mind. They go crazy. Why? You can just say Jesus and they'll go, well, why are you so intolerant? What are you talking about? Y'all are so closed minded. What? And it's such a serious thing. We need to realize, church, we need to wake up and realize that, that God wants to move. But we've got to begin to move with him. We've got to begin to do the things he created us to do. We, we can't be like the Jews in Jerusalem who God was there and they absolutely missed it. We need to begin to wake up and realize that God wants to use us in incredible ways. And I wonder, church, do we really believe that God will do it? Do we really believe that God still wants to bring people into the kingdom? Do we really believe that there's power in the name of Jesus? Do we really believe that the Holy Spirit still leads people to Christ? Do we really believe that? Because when I read my Bible, when I go to the book of Acts and I see what God did, I'm like, he can do that here. He can do that again. But do we believe it? Do we really? Are we anticipating that God would use us, that God would do things so that other people come to know him? I read the book of Acts and in Acts chapter one, there were like 120 believers, right? 120 of them. They're scared to death. Holy Spirit comes. Things begin to happen. Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost. He preaches this message. Um, It says 3000 people gave their lives to Christ that day and were baptized. That's pretty awesome. 120 to 3000 in one day. That's pretty cool. And, and then you go to Acts chapter 4, and you look at this, and it says that at that point, there were about 5,000 men who were a part. Of the faith who are part of the body of Christ. 5,000 men. Most scholars believe that 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 was just representative of the men. It wasn't saying men like all men and women. It was saying that was just the men. If you conservatively take that estimate and you say 5,000 men, you figure one wife, one child. How many people are you at within about three months of Peter standing up and preaching? 15,000. Most of them believed that the church had grown to 20,000 people, not because they had stolen them from the other church down the road, but because people actually came to put their faith in Christ. Right? Because if we're real honest about it today, typically the reason one church grows and the other church doesn't is because the sheep left one pasture and went to another. Is that not true? It is true, but there are people God still wants to work. He still desires to work. We can be a people that God uses to bring others into his kingdom. We can be a people that God uses through the power of his Holy Spirit to bring other people to the knowledge of Christ. God still wants to do that. But are we aware of his presence? Are we ready? Are we anticipating that God would move? I mean, I look at the book of Acts. I look at what God did through the church and his believers. And I think, really, are, are we so blown away that our, our goal that our vision would be to reach 2,000 people in 10 years? When he reached like fifteen, twenty thousand 20,000 in a few months? Is it too much to ask? I mean, the God that made the stars and the planets and he dug out the seas and he created the mountains and he did all of that. Is it really too much to ask that he would continue to bring people into his kingdom? I don't think so. I believe that God still wants to move in that way. But here's the thing. If we're going to do that, we can't miss it. And we can't be like the Jews who missed it when God was there. We can't be like the church today that so often misses it when God is in the house, when God is brought into a city, that we don't miss the work of God. God still wants to move. And I want to tell you a few things. I want to tell you four things and we'll get out of here. And these four things, I believe, are why the church typically misses it. Why we don't realize that Jesus is here and and, and anticipate the fact that he is going to bring people into his kingdom. Four things and we're out. Okay. The first one is this. I believe that most people are more concerned with God doing something great for them rather than in them. So there's a huge difference in that. There's a huge difference in us thinking, well, I want God to do something great for me. I want God to do something great um, that, that I can see. Because here's the deal. God first and foremost wants to do something great in you, right? He first and foremost wants to change your heart. That is what Jesus came and died for is so that your heart, your life could be radically altered by the living God. And we've lost sight of this, man. The church has become so, so user friendly, right? It's become so user friendly. We just come as we are. Jesus went from being the king of kings to our homeboy. You've seen those t-shirts, right? And it's like we've just lost the holiness of God. We've lost this fact, this amazing privilege that God desires to recreate us. We look at it as a hassle. Well, God, why would you want to take that away from me? Why would you want to do this? And we look at it as a hassle rather than a privilege that the living God has actually chosen us to be his people and to change us to look more like him. That's why we look at the Bible and we're like, man, I want to read that thing. Why? Because you feel like it's not doing anything for me. First of all, that's such a drastic, just misunderstanding of scripture and what the Bible actually is about and what it does. But the second thing is, it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about, it's about God radically changing our heart. It's about God radically changing who we are at the very core of our being so that we begin to be recreated in the image of God. I don't think if any of us were placed next to Jesus, we'd get confused for Jesus. I don't think that like if, if, if I stood up there beside Christ, that somebody would be going, okay, which one's Brandon? I can't tell. There's still some work to be done on me. There's still some things to happen. But until I get to the place where I would rather God change me and do something great in me rather than doing something great for me, it will never happen. I've got to get to that place where God changed my heart. I want to read this to you. It's out of Psalm 51. And this is David's cry. Psalm 51. I'm going to read verse 10 and 11. Or 10 through 12, actually. It says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me to sustain me is that our heart's cry i mean see the jews were looking for a messiah who would do something great for them but they weren't looking for anybody that was going to change them on the inside that's why jesus called them whitewashed tombs that's why he called them a, a dirty cup that was clean on the outside but on the inside it was it was dirty it was filthy and we've got to be a people who are looking for God to change us inwardly, not just do something great on the outside. Because if something's going to happen that's great on the outside, it's going to be because you are first changed on the inside. I think about this with my children. I mean, think about it. When you tell them to eat their green beans, right? I don't have a child that goes, man, I would love to eat my green beans. I love green beans. Green beans are amazing. They're amazing. Yes, daddy. Can I have seconds? No. Around our house, it goes something like this. Son, eat your green beans. I don't want to eat my green beans. Eat your green beans. I don't want to eat my green beans. If you don't eat your green beans, I'm going to beat you and send you to your room. Now, eat your green beans. And then it usually, like Susan holds them out. And, no, we don't do that. But that's about what it comes to. And why is that? Because we want them to eat their green beans because it's good for them. Right? They don't want to eat green beans. We're like, eat your green beans. I don't want to eat my It's all about what they want, not what they need. See, we know what they need. It, we're very clear. You need to eat green beans. I want French fries. French fries will kill you. Look at, your, look at this, son. Do you, this is what French fries will do to you. And, and, and they don't want to eat it. And we're the same way. We don't want to come to God and say, God, give me what I need. We come to God and go, God, give me what I want. And I wonder if it's not a trust issue where we don't, where we look at God and go, God, I really don't trust you enough to give me what I need. So I'm going to tell you what I want. And I find myself in that place where I'm like, God, I want this. I want that. It's like a Santa Claus list, right? It's like a Santa Claus list where, where we just write out our list and then we go, okay, God, here it is. Rather than looking at God and going, God. I, I know you love me i know you want what's best give me what i need just give me what i need and this is where i find me the other day i was out at mill creek and, and i don't know what's happening to me but like I, I go and try to run and it just gets i know i say it's all but it's seriously it like gets harder and harder and i was out there running the other day and 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 it's so funny how god god just starts to speak to me when i'm when i'm near death and so i'm running around the track out there, and it, I was running a little later than usual, and it was really dark, and, um, and and getting dark, and the the lights were on, and I was like, at least people can't see me from a distance and, until I get under the light. But um, I'm running, and I started realizing, where, like watching my shadows, and I'm running, and I realized that as I was approaching the light, my shadow was behind me. And then I noticed as I passed the light and I was moving away from the light, my shadow was in front of me. And I started noticing that I was running to the light. It was bright in front of me. I could see clearly. It was, it was, it was wide open for me. I could see it it was, it was running into the light. But then I noticed that when I would get away from it, I was running into darkness. And you know what? People couldn't see how ugly I looked running in the darkness. But, but had there been something there for me to trip on or something, I would have just... (coughs) You know, and I think about us and my question to you is this. Are you running to the light or from the light? Are you trying to run to God or from God? Are you running into darkness? Or are you running into light? Because God desires that we would run into the light. But, you know, we don't like the, the light. And this is what the Bible says is that we don't like the light because it reveals who we really are. But I believe we've got to get to a place where we are willing to allow people to see us to be vulnerable with, with with the reality of who we are, because the Bible says that if we'll live in the light that God can begin to change our life, he can begin to change us at the core of who we are. And that is what Jesus Is about is changing us radically at the core of who we are. The greatest miracle that God has ever done was not healing a blind man or raising the dead. I don't believe I believe it was taking a selfish human being and making them love somebody else more than themselves. Because I'm pretty sure that 10 out of 10 people have a struggle with selfishness, right? I don't think I think it's like 100%. I don't even think it's like 99.9999. I'm pretty sure it's 100% of us have a struggle with selfishness. We've got to begin to desire God to move in us and do great things in us more than we desire him to do great things for us. The second one is this most of us are more concerned with God doing great things for us rather than through us. Um, I'm amazed, and and, and this take this, if the shoe fits, outgrow it. Um, But I'm amazed at how Christians walk through the doors of churches looking more for something to criticize and complain about than they do walking through the doors of the church looking for God. I am absolutely blown away by that. It it amazes me some of the things that we hear that that people come in and complain about. I mean, I'm like, are you serious? There are people dying and going to hell and we're going to argue over which song we sang today. Really? I mean, where is our focus? Where is our heart? Is it for people who are lost and dying? Is it for people who are starving and are naked? Is it for people who are hurting? Or is it for ourselves? Because here's the truth of the matter. When you gave your life to Christ, you lost your, your, your right to be served. And you became a servant. If Jesus Christ himself didn't come to be served, then how dare us walk in the church building, look at people and go serve me. What's your attitude when you walk in the doors of this place? Is it who can I serve or how can they serve me? How can they serve me? Because bless God, if it's not exactly what I wanted, Brandon's not like that dancing chicken up there entertaining me today. We're not coming back. Right. If it's not hopping, if it's not exactly what I want, man, I'm done. And my thought is then, man, you probably need to be done. Probably need to be done. Because we can't get anywhere with that. We can't get anywhere with that attitude. We can't get anywhere when people look at it and go, serve me, don't use me. See, God created you and we need you. We, God needs you to be his hands and feet, to go and to do things for him, for his kingdom, to begin to invest in people, to initiate a relationship with people and then begin to serve other people, not just in the church, but definitely in the church, but in your community, at your job. I mean, it blows people's mind when you begin to put them ahead of yourself. It does not register. They don't get it. And it begins to display God for them so that they can see him. So that they, you begin to be the, the tangible evidence of an invisible God. So he begins to work in you and through you. But we've got to get to a place where we desire that God would use us more to do great things than for him to do great things for us, man. Listen, God wants to use you in incredible ways. you all remember that book. Um, some of you who have been around for a while in church and all. Remember the book that came out um, several years ago, The Prayer of Jabez? Anybody remember that book? And everybody lost their mind over that book. It was like every, people were buying them and giving them their friends. This is the most incredible book. Most incredible. And I read it. I mean, it was a good book. But you know what it basically did is it told about this man named Jabez who asked God to increase his territory and use him in an incredible way. And then God did. And so people were like, what if we take the scripture literally? And we started praying that God would use us in incredible ways, that God would expand our territory and that we would begin to have more influence and we could begin to be used in awesome ways. And they began to pray that prayer because this guy wrote this book and they woke up and they realized God wants to use me. And you know what happened when people started praying that prayer? God started using them. Amazing. Amazing that God's words true. I know it's a crazy thought, but you know, and people started praying and they were like, Oh my gosh, we've got to read this book, man. It like changed my life. I prayed this prayer and then like 45 people wanted to receive Christ and they were just going nuts about it. But you know what it was? It was waking up to the reality that God wants to use you, that God wants to be a part of using you and, and filling you with his spirit so that you can be used by him. And, and if we will get in this mindset that I would rather God do something great through me than, than for me, man. What could God do? But here's the thing that we don't do. We don't come through the doors of a church. We don't spend our our days worshiping God for what he's already done. How many of you, you can raise your hand for this. And we'll say that God's done something pretty awesome for you in your life at some point in time. Joe's got like two hands and both feet up. That God's done something. And if you didn't raise your hand, let me help you here. You're breathing today. So God's done something pretty awesome for you. He gave you breath. What if we, instead of looking at the circumstances around us or fearing what's coming ahead, what if we began to worship God for what he's already done? Don't you think that would build some anticipation for what's going to come? Don't you think that that would build some anticipation for God moving? Listen, I'm just human. And about once a week, I go through this thing of what if something happens and the church is like... What if we're just a flash in the pan and we go two years and the, it just falls away? I mean, what happens? And then I look back and I go, God, look at what you've done. I go, God, look at where you've brought us to. God, thank you for the people whose lives you already touched. If it ceased to exist tomorrow, we baptized 38 people last year. Thank you for those 38 people. Thank you for the lives of the children that have been ministered to. Thank you for all the people whose lives have been touched, the marriages that have been helped. Thank you, God, for all you've done. And you know what happens when I begin to worship him for what he's already done? I begin to think even greater things for what's ahead. But we get so set in our circumstances and the things that are going on around us that we forget how faithful God's been in the past. But if we'll begin to look and not live in, I'm not saying like live in the past. You know, I'm not saying that what I'm saying is you begin to worship God for his greatness and his faithfulness for what he's already done in your life. And it will raise your expectations. It will raise your anticipation. It will raise your hope for the future and what God is going to do. So we need to begin to worship and we need to begin to, to, to become desperate for God to do something. Are we desperate to see God move? Are we desperate that God would use us to do great things? Are we ready? Are we, are we willing for God to use us? The third one is this, that we prefer to talk about a problem, especially other people's problems, rather than realize God created you to be a part of the solution. I'm wondering how different would church look? If when people walk through the doors, we walk through going, let me find a problem so that I can be the solution to the problem. Rather than walking through the doors and going, let me find a problem so that I can make Brandon's life miserable. Let me find a problem so that so that I can send an email in and complain about something. Let me find a problem. And and what would it look like if we woke up and realized that that you weren't created to just come in and find problems. You were created to come in and be a solution. But you were created by God and gifted by God so that you could be a part of finding the solution. One of the craziest things, man, that's ever happened here at this church. Eh, It's actually not one of the crazy. It's probably in the top 30, right? But when we first started, we didn't have that many um, teenagers And by comparison to some churches, we still don't, you know, we have 15, 16 people, probably 14, 11, two on Sunday at youth. But, but we first started, I had a guy come to me and he said, listen, um, I, I like the church, but I need a youth group for my kids to go to. I'm like, well, shoot, man, let's start a youth group. And rule number one, like this was one of those church landmines. It blew me up. Um, that I stepped on. I didn't see it coming, but here's the thing. Like, don't ever do something because somebody else tells you to do it because God tells you to. And so I I went and I'm like, we're starting a youth group. I tell you what you have your kids here next Sunday, by golly, five 30. We're meeting. I'm like, I've been a youth pastor before I can do this. And so we start this youth group. We had two kids the next week. And guess what? They weren't his kids. We did this thing for about six weeks. His children never showed up. But we did have three that came pretty regularly for a while. And so they started coming. Two of them were brothers and sisters. And, and they were here. And, the man, they were like, you know, they're sixty six point 66.67% of our youth group right there. And so we're meeting. We're, we're having a good time. I'm taking them to get ice cream. I'm reading scripture to them, pouring into them. I'm like, this is cool. We can go from three to whatever, you know. It doesn't matter. We'll, if we can pour into these three, it'll be awesome. And so we're doing that. And we're ministering to them and loving them. Well, one day they disappear. There went 66.67% of our youth group. And so we met a couple of weeks. I'm like, surely they'll come. I earlier. Mean, I'm looking at the watch, and so it's just me and this other kid, and we're just looking at each other. I'm like... Let's open the Bible. And so we, we would still do this. But then I got to the point. I'm like, you know, I didn't start this because God told me to. I started it because somebody said that they would stay in the church if we started a youth group. And we had like 25 people. So I'm like, we would need them. And so, but, but it, didn't, it didn't start out right. And so I finally came to the point. I'm like, we're killing this thing, man. There's not any sacred cows around here. We're just going to kill this thing. So we put a slide up on the screen um, that next Sunday. And it said group noun. The gathering together of two or more people. And then at the bottom it said, "Due to lack of a group, we no longer have youth." And so that's how we canceled youth. And so um, we didn't meet anymore. Well, about two months later, I get a phone call. It's like Brandon. I said, "Yeah." He said, uh, "This is so and so." I said, "Cool, man. How are you? We missed you." He's like, "Well, we're coming back to church this Sunday, but I needed to know what time youth starts." I was like, "We don't have youth anymore. Why not?" He started flipping out, man. He's like, he's like, why don't you have youth? Well, we can't come back if you don't have youth. I said, you took our youth group. Your, your children were our youth group. And he's complaining and fussing. And I'm like, don't you see that you're, you were part of the problem? And instead of coming and being a solution, I mean, this dude was the problem. He stole our whole youth group. And then got mad at me whenever we didn't have youth anymore. And I find that so common in church when people walk in. And it's a new church and people go, I just don't think you you don't have this in place. And I'm like, well, maybe God's sending you to put it in place. Ding dong. We can't do it all. People have great ideas, but you know what? I only got so many hours in a day. I can't do everybody's great ideas. If God gives you a great idea, you know why he probably gave it to you? Because you're the one that's supposed to do it. Not me. Yeah. God. God doesn't give you a great vision or a great idea so that I can add something else to my plate. I'm sorry. He does not. He gives you great ideas because he's called you to be a part of the body of Christ. He's called you to serve. He's called you to step out in faith. Because if you never step out in faith, how are you going to know God's faithfulness? If you never step out in faith, how are you ever going to know that God can do incredible things through you? If you never step out in faith, how are you going to see that that God can actually take your hands, your mind, your mouth, and actually lead people closer to him? Man, this is not about me doing everything. This is about you coming, being filled up, and then going, bless God, I'm going to do something for the kingdom but listen and here's the deal guys you're not called to warm these chairs it's it's not what it's about you're not called to be a chair warmer you're called to get in this game and begin to do some things because this is what i believe in my heart you're better than that you're too gifted for that you're too gifted to just come and sit you're too gifted not to use your gifts for the kingdom you're too gifted for that we're better than that right We're better than that. God has called us to change people's lives and we actually get the privilege of being a part of that. Don't settle for just sitting in a chair. And and please, if you're not going to serve, don't tell us you are. I mean, because there's the deal. If you say, yeah, I'm going to do this and you don't, you're not being unfaithful to me. You're not being unfaithful to Olivia. You're not being unfaithful to Don. You're not being unfaithful to Sean. You're being unfaithful to God. It's not about us. It's about God. God wants to use you. He wants you to be a part of the solution of the people who are lost and hurting in this world. He wants to use you. And he wants to use you in amazing and awesome ways. Can you imagine if Jesus had come on the scene and all he did was find problems? That's humorous if you really think about it. I mean, because Jesus would have walked up and he'd be like, man. That woman right there got caught in adultery. She is messed up, man. Look at her. Look at her. Look at how messed up that woman is. Look at this dude's hand, man. It is all jacked up. Look how shriveled up it is. That dude has got a messed up hand. Look at this, this man. Look, he can't even see. He's never been able to see. He can't see. Look at him. He's blind. Old Lazarus, he was a good old fella. Too bad he died. <laughs> if all he did was find problems... But he didn't come to find problems. He came to be the solution because he could have looked at every one of us and gone, man, they they're horrible. Look at them in their sin. Look at them all in the mire, and the muck of life and in the crap of life. And look at them. They're just right here and, and and look, man, they can't get themselves out. Look. But he didn't do that. He came to be a solution. And my challenge to you right now is, are you going to be a part of the solution for God? Or are we just going to sit back and watch other people struggle through life when we know the answer? We know the truth. We know who can change hearts and change lives. That's what it's about, is being a part of the solution. Jesus never, ever, ever came to earth to beat us down. He came to earth to lift us up. And one thing I'm amazed at in the church is how many times we will beat people down with our words. Instead of coming and, and, and being a solution in their life. We come and we, we want to talk about the problem. And I'm telling you gossip will destroy a church faster than anything else will. The Bible says that our tongues are set on fire from hell. What does a fire do? It destroys and this is going to sound harsh, but I'm just going to say this. And, and, and I know the millions of people who listen to our podcast will, will probably think this is harsh. That was a joke, by the way. But, but man, there is nothing, and I say this with all humility and all love, there is nothing that will get somebody a free invitation out of here quicker than gossip. Because we are not going to be destroyed by the tongue. And here's the deal, guys. We need to hold each other accountable. We need to hold each other accountable to that. And some of you heard me say this before, but my definition of gossip is this. If you're telling somebody that can't do a thing about it, then you're gossiping. And don't do this. Do not disguise it as a prayer request. (laughs) Well, you know, I just want to tell you this because we need to be praying for them. But you hear so-and-so's having an affair with so-and-so. We need to pray for them. (laughs) Or... You know what? I heard so and so he uh, he fell off the wagon again, man. He's drinking again, and let's pray for him. No, that is that's gossip. That is gossip. You're not doing that because you care about him. You're doing it because you want to run him down. And we hide behind. Them. Can you imagine if Jesus did that? Jesus is like, well, um, you know, so and so he's uh, he's uh, smoking over there behind that rock, and you know, let's, let's pray for him. He didn't do that. You know what I'm saying? Jesus went and he, he did things for people. He helped people. He was more concerned in lifting them up than he was talking about them. My gosh, if we could control our tongue, how much more healthy the body of Christ would be. Man, this is just some good advice. If you can't help but talk about people when you talk, then just hush. That's the best advice I get. Just hush. Because you're destroying the body. Here's the last thing that I believe keeps us from anticipating god i mean it keeps us from being used by god it it keeps us from becoming all that god wants us to be and and this is the last one i believe that our hearts have become calloused and numb because of our spiritual lethargy i believe they become calloused and numb because of our spiritual lethargy if you ever want to get a good pet um i would recommend a neutered basset hound (laughs) and they are awesome because this dog does nothing I think this dog wakes up in the morning and he looks around and he's like, do I want to move today? And so he sits there and, and I go out sometime or I come in sometimes at night. Um, and, and I, I look at him and he's laying there in the bushes. I'm like, all right, Charlie, pet him on the head. I go inside. I walk back out the next morning. He's still laying there. Hadn't moved an inch. He's an awesome, awesome dog. And, Cause I love him. I mean, he's almost like having a stuffed dog, you know? I mean, <laughs> And so he doesn't get into anything. He doesn't really do it. You just pet him when you want to. He doesn't bother you. I mean, sometimes you have to look and make sure he's breathing. You look for his chest to be moving up and down. But he's awesome. And I love him. But the other day, you know, we had these frigid temperatures um, this week. And so I'd put him in our, our, our um, shop at night. And then I'd get him out during the daytime. But what I noticed was that his water was frozen. It was like almost frozen solid. And so I went over there. And, and I'd have to take my fingers or, or something. And I'd have to bust up the ice. So he could get some water during the day because it was, it was just frozen solid. And, and I was thinking about this. I was like, you know, here's the, here's the crazy thing about it. So many of us, that's the condition of our heart right now. So many of us, because we don't invest anything spiritually into our lives, other than maybe coming to church for an hour and 15 minutes a week, that, that, that our hearts have grown cold. And it sounds crazy that you could have a calloused heart because it's not being, because you're not doing anything. Because typically we don't get calluses until we do something right. But I believe this is what happens. I believe if you're not taking care of your heart spiritually, the world comes and it begins to brush up against you. It begins to hammer you down. It begins to be abrasive to your heart. And pretty soon it becomes callous. Anybody would say that maybe your heart became hardened at some point in time because of the things that went on in the world around you. Yes. The world, man, listen, there's things in the world right now that just stink. There are some of you who are in circumstances right now that are so abrasive that if you don't take care of your heart spiritually, you're not going to make it. Your heart's going to become hardened. And and we need to take this seriously. We need to begin to realize that I need to be in the word of God. Why? Because it breaks up that hardness on my heart. I need to be in prayer, not just giving God my list, but giving God my life and listening to the voice of God. Not just because I'm praying and being a good Christian, but because I need God to break up that shell around my heart. You know, it amazes me that our spiritual authority that we are just, we're just lazy. And it makes me come back to this thing again of do we really believe what we believe? Because if so, how do we put our head on a pillow at night knowing that people are dying all around us without the knowledge of our Savior? And yet we can continue day in and day out. Man, I got so convicted about this. I love watching those history shows at night, man. And here's the thing we do. You cannot tell me you don't do this because we all do it. You get home from a hard day's work. You take care of the kids. You bathe the kids, you do this, you do that. You come home from working, you you see your wife, you do all the things. Maybe you even wash some dishes and and wash some clothes. And you've done all this stuff. And then finally, it's like nine o'clock at night. And what do we do? It's my time. Don't we? And I'm like, what are we pouring into ourselves spiritually? What are we doing to armor ourselves for the next day? What are we doing to prepare ourselves to be used for God to do something great? How are we really doing anything? And then we wonder about why our religious life, or this life with Christ, this relationship with Jesus is stale. Maybe it's because we'll wear out a, the grip on a golf club, but we can't find time to do anything for Christ. Maybe it's because the batteries on our remote are worn slam out, but our Bible hasn't been picked up in months. I mean, come on. We do all these things, but we can't give back to God. We can't spend time with God. We, we, we get so, so caught up in our own world that, that God, is, he's like on the outside. Anybody like that, meet the Fockers and meet the parents, those movies? Yeah. I, you're outside the circle, right? You're outside the circle. And so here's the deal, man. We need to be pouring in. It's amazing to me that we can have like 352 pairs of shoes in our, in our closet. We can have like all this stuff and yet we can't tithe. My goodness. We can't give to God what's already his and He he lets us keep 90%. We can't give him 10, but we can have all these toys. Something's messed up. And we need to begin to break up that, our hearts, man. We need to begin to till that soil so that the good seed of God, the word of God, can begin to press into our hearts. And, and that we can be changed. We can be touched. We can be changed at the core. When we're changed at the core, man, God begins to move in our hearts. And we begin to be disturbed for what disturbs God. God begins to use us in incredible ways, in awesome ways. We begin to see that we are the solution and not the problem. And then we begin to continue to pour into our lives. God fills us up. Why? So that we can be emptied again and again and again. That's what God wants from us. And I believe if we're doing these things, man, if that's our heart, I don't believe we'll miss God. I don't believe that God will show up and us go, I don't know who this guy is. I don't believe that's going to happen. But are we doing these things? Are we really, really, really investing ourselves in God? Are we allowing God to pour into us? Is it not crazy to think that God wants to pour into our lives and we wouldn't give Him time? That's wild. And so, I, I just, I just asked you this morning: and Where are you in all this? What's your attitude about all these things? What's your heart in these things? Maybe if, if you find yourself struggling with one of these things, it's because our focus has gotten off of Jesus and gotten onto some kind of religious set of rules and expectations that we just live by. But there's really no relationship. Maybe, maybe we've just gotten our focus off of who Jesus is and what he's done for us, and we really don't realize and maybe even grasp the magnitude of the salvation he's given us and the love he's poured out on us and how hopeless we really were until he came to us and initiated this relationship with us. Maybe today we just need to get our focus back. You know? Maybe that's, that's where we're at today. So we need to recommit ourselves to Christ. Maybe today we're in a place where maybe for the first time we need to commit ourselves to Christ. There are a lot of people that sit in church pews and church chairs every Sunday. And they've never even met. They've never given their life to Jesus. They never surrendered themselves to him. In fact, I think in the South, that's one of our biggest problems, is people have been in church so long that they've misconfused, or they've confused the church with who Jesus is. And maybe today, man, it's just getting real and saying, God, I want you bump all this stuff. I don't want this. I want I want you. And this is what I'm going to ask you. I'm just going to ask you straight up. As you're sitting here, you're looking at me out of eye. I'm going to ask you out of eye. If that's your heart's cry that you should... It's just a desperation, or maybe you want a desperation for God. This is what I'm going to ask you to do right now with us looking at each other, with us taking a step of courage and boldness. I'm going to ask you, raise your hand right now, because I'm going to pray for you today. Anybody that, that would say, I want more of God. I want God to use me. I don't want to be served. I want to serve. Thank you, Joe, that, that God would thank you, that God would use us in incredible and awesome ways, that we would begin to be the solution and not the problem. Listen, the first step is that we come to a place of going, God, I realize I'm a selfish human being. I realize I've put me and everything else ahead of you, and I've created idols in my life. And then we come to this place of of coming to God and saying, God, now, take my heart, reshape it, change me at the core. I want to pray for you today, those of you who, who desire it.